Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. Dreams filled the air of the Harrow Hall Inn as a clouded moon passed overhead. Adults and children, my spiders and kittens, all dreamt sweet dreams in their beds. You're listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odd Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 16 Onward. fell through the night. A faint little titter-tap on the roof and window panes of the Harrow Hall Inn, and Trinia and I awoke to a mesmerizing dawn. The air was fresh with crisp damp, and carried a strong tinge of hyacinth. Grass glistened, birds burbled, and the thatched roofs of Harrow Delph gleamed gold in the rising sun. <sighs> it was as clear and clean a morning as ever one could ask, like the world had taken a bath and scrubbed every nook and cranny till it blushed. Trinia and I were in much need of the same, and bathed ourselves with cloths and warm water before heading to breakfast. Trinia put on an ill-fitted shirt that Tarver had wrestled up. She was too large for the horrendous blue dress I'd borrowed from Kilia. Lucky duck. But her glowing marks were visible through the thinly spun linen. Being an elf outside of Beleth drew enough attention to her already. She didn't need the curse to draw any more. We agreed that the tailor's shop would be our first errand of the day. Quinn was absent from the hall during breakfast. Kilia and Tarver were covering all the morning chores, as well as serving the morning meal. When I inquired, Tarver explained, Taking the day off for himself, me boy. Never asked for a day off before. No, it's usually a struggle to get him to stay in bed, rather, when he's sick. But poor boy was more dour than a donkey this morning. Must be what old Matty brought up last night. Swirled the dregs at the bottom of the barrel, he did. I looked over at Trenia, and she shared my expression of culpability. If old Matty had swirled the barrel, Trenia and I sure had smashed it. But Tarver didn't know that, and continued to chat merrily with us between tending to other indwellers. I leaned over and whispered to Trenia, What do we do? I really want to talk to Quinn about what happened last night. So do I. But if he wants to be left alone, then we should leave him alone. But what if he's only avoiding us because what he really wants is for us to reach out to him? Then he's playing a mind game, and I refuse to play along. But he doesn't seem the sort. Well, then maybe we should ask him. You're saying we should talk to him about whether or not we can talk to him. Well, how else are we supposed to know? Hey, Quinn... Can we talk about how you saved me and Trenia from Laurel's crazy dad? Because I really thought you hated us both. That's definitely what you should lead with. Well, I'm not going to say that. I just want him to know that we're not avoiding him, right? We're willing to talk if he is. Well, we aren't leaving tomorrow. There's no rush to sort things out. Let's give him time with his own heart before we try to share our own. I looked up at Trenia, and my eyes narrowed in skeptical disbelief. When did you become so wise? I've always been wise. You just haven't been listening. <laughs> I elbowed her, and she smiled. After breakfast, Trinia and I walked along the main road of Harrowdelf towards the tailor's shop, relishing the morning's glory and testing out our legs. We'd both slept sounder than sound, and woke with enough energy to think about our next steps. Certainly, 
Both of us needed more time at the Harrow Hall to rest and heal. But eventually, we needed to get back on the road. Granbara was out there somewhere, and we needed to find him. According to Hatha's map, Joe and Graham had a hideout some two weeks to the northwest, up in the highlands towards the Roran Mountains. Another hideout was marked some three weeks to the east, off towards the deserts of Indin. Four weeks due north, there was another spot, and there were several hideouts scattered across northern Quib towards Haventown. But gee, there were more than a dozen locations marked on Hatha's map, and none of them seemed more likely than any other to be Joe and Graham's next stop. Trinia and I still had five silver pieces and a silver stib between us, which was more money than I was used to having, but not nearly enough to pay for our time at the Harrow Hall and get us comfortably to our next destination, wherever it might be. Luckily, we were used to roughing it, Trinia and I. We didn't need comfort or care, no sir. Adventurers have no use for such things. Besides, once we caught Joe and Graham, we'd have 500 silver pieces to split between us, and then coin wouldn't be a problem. So, until then, money shmoney, pfft, we'd be fine. As Trinia and I drew near the tailor's shop, a villager ambled towards us on the street, looking ruffled and shaken. His eyes were wide with alarm, and his hand shook as he held out a wax-sealed envelope. Are you Elliot? Yes, yes I am. Why? The, the, the lady on the horse told me to, to give this to you. The lady on the horse? What are you talking about? I, I don't know. Just, t- just take it. The man all but threw the letter in my face and ran away like he'd seen a three-headed troll. Wait, come back. Chedia made to run after him, but she stopped when her shoulder twinged and she nearly buckled from the pain. I bent down and picked up the letter and studied the seal pressed into the violet wax. It was an ornate shield split into four panes the top left of which held the letter J, and the bottom right of which held the letter G. (gasps) My whole body clenched, and I felt ice dripping down my spine. The other two panes held images of swords and daggers and bags of money. (sighs) The jolly robbers were anything but subtle. I ripped open the envelope and withdrew a single sheet of paper with flowing script. Trinia and I read it in silence. Dear Ali, We hope you'll be pleased to hear your goat is doing quite well. He enjoys carrying our bags and pulling our carts, and only needs a few cracks of the whip to get going. Do be careful on the road, dear. There's word of bandits in the Highlands. We'd hate to see you come to harm. Love, Joe and Graham. P.S. Here's a wee gift from your little friend. I upturned the envelope, and a chunk of grey-brown fur fell into my palm. (gasps) Granbauer! My face twitched with anger. Those slimy, repugnant, terrible, awful turd mongers. Joe and Graham were goating me on. Literally. Trinia's posture straightened as she switched into warrior mode. To the Highlands, then. No, they're bluffing. It read like a taunt. No, no, no. Lying is kind of their thing. We should head south or east. Whatever is the exact opposite direction of whatever they said. They are liars, sure enough, but what if they told you the truth because they knew you wouldn't believe it? That seems like the foul sort of mind play they'd enjoy. I don't know! I hate them! I crushed the letter in my hand and shook my fists in the air and let myself have a good old-fashioned tantrum in the middle of the street. They were so evil. Had the lady on the horse been Joe? No, she she wouldn't dare come so close. They must have sent an underling to scare that poor villager. 
But then again... <laughs> Trenia put a hand on my shoulder. At least now we know they still have him. And we know he's alive. I rolled Granbauer's fur between my fingers. But what do we do? It seems stupid to believe them. It does. So we must believe in our own sense and logic. Joe and Graham have already been heading north since you met them, right? Yes. Surely they have plans beyond taunting you with Granbauer, enigmatic as they are. Which means there must be something else they're after. If we rule out the letter, if we rule out any calculations they might make regarding us, then we are simply tracking travellers on the way to their next stop. They're being searched for south of here. The highlands are the closest point on the map heading north. That's where we should go. I considered Trenia's case for a moment, and couldn't find a solid argument against it. Rather, I found another point for it. And if Granbauer is not there, at least it won't be a total waste. What do you mean? The Highlands are on the way to Haventown. Trenia gave a coy smile. That they are. But Laurel isn't the one being held hostage by the Jolly Robbers. We've waited years to be together. It won't hurt to wait a little more. To the Highlands, then? To the Highlands. But first, it was to the tailors. And then to the river to wash our old clothes. And then to nap time, because wooey does healing take it out of you. <laughs> and then to gather food and supplies for our forthcoming journey. And then to the dining hall for a final evening before leaving town. The inn was packed once again, full of patrons who wanted to meet the brave adventurer and her elven friend. Tarver and Kilia were behind the bar serving food and pouring drinks, and seemed overjoyed, if overwhelmed, by the boom of business. Yin and Yam and Jess and Waldy were eating together in a corner table, but there was still no sign of Quinn. Dang it. For a little while, Trenia and I earned our keep at the Harrow Hall by fielding questions from curious citizens. I certainly had more pizzazz than Trenia, but even my exuberance was lackluster. I only recounted the highlights of my tale since leaving home, and I only truly perked up when the story turned to Joe and Graham's insidious letter. No one could identify the delivery man based off my description. A few guesses were made, but as soon as someone offered a name, Was it Autumn? Someone would chime in, No, I'm here, and it wasn't me. I began to wonder if the delivery man had actually been a servant of Joe and Graham, not a scared villager, and had fabricated the lady on the horse to lead us astray. Well, that wouldn't be surprising. Ah, Joe and Graham had so many layers of lies they could have baked a big old lie cake. Thankfully, Trinia and I were saved from further questions when Earth practice began another set, which opened with the candle song I thought I'd dreamt the day before. How had they known what I was thinking? Their music sure felt like magic. Trinia and I sat by the bar to eat and listen. During a break in the singing, I swiveled around to where Tarver and Kilia stood behind the counter, and informed them we would be leaving in the morning. Kilia immediately protested, No dear, you can't be leaving so soon. You're both on the mend, and you've only just arrived. Stay a while yet. Help Quinn with the chores. He could use the company of a nice gal such as yourself right now to help him forget his troubles. Good gracious was she persistent, and hilariously, yet... Painfully clueless. No, Kilia, we, we've really got to get going. We have a lead on where Joe and Graham are headed next, and we know they still have Granbauer. We can't waste any time. Granbauer? Oh, blessings to beauty. Say no more, dear. Say no more. Wait. The goat? That's why you're rushing off? Of course, love. 
He was captured by the Jolly Robbers. Tarver seemed puzzled. But it's just a goat. Well, I began to argue. But Kilia interjected. Just a goat. Weren't you listening to Ali's tale yesterday? Granbauer isn't just some goat. Maybe I missed something when I was in the back room. Is he magic? Or extra tough or something? Well, no. I mean, he is just an ordinary goat by most people's standards, but... I love him. We've known each other since we were kids. He was born just before my father died, and he was there for me when no one else was. He's my closest friend. He's... he's... he's a little bit of home. Yeah, he is. Kilia turned to Tarver, her point proven. See? And that's why we can't just leave him to suffer and die in the hands of Joe and Graham. We'll see you two off in the morning, with a full stock of food, now won't we, dear? Key. Won't we? What's the matter? I don't get it. It's just a go- Don't you say it! <sighs> Fine. Well, I'll be sad to see you go. Thanks, Tarver. How much do we owe you for our stay? Owe us? Huh. If anything, we owe you. You two have brought in nearly as much business as the Harvest Festival. We're going to have to send out to every brewer in the county to replenish what we've gone through. But you healed us, Kilia. You stayed up all night to save Trenia, and you fed us again, and we took up your kitchen for an entire day. None of this now. It's been an honor to mend you and to tend you. If you wish to pay us in any way, it'll be with another visit. I want to hear the story of how you captured Joe and Graham in your own words. Not from some traveling bard. Understood? Understood. Kilia reached across the bar and took my hand in hers. Her eyes were bright and a kind smile stretched across her face. She gave my hand a squeeze. I look forward to meeting Granbauer. The hall filled with music once again, and mirth and merriment abounded. Sure, a lot of painful memories dwelled in the Harrow Hall Inn, but there were some good ones too. Not long after sundown, Trenia and I slipped out of the hall to ready ourselves for the morning's departure. We stashed all the supplies we'd gathered into my pack and double-checked Hatha's map. We would take the western road out of Harrowdelf in the morning and stay on it until it veered north towards a village in the highlands called Cothram. Once our gear was readied and our plans were set, Trinia and I took turns unwrapping the dressings on each other's wounds and cleaning them with herbals Kilia had left in the room. The bright curse of the Ozpalan glowed upon her chest, a shimmering hand that would not scar over or fade with time like the wounds beside it. Trenia's stitches remained taut and secure, and thankfully there was no sign of infection. However, she couldn't move her arm without intense pain, and didn't seem likely to lift her sword or do much of anything for a while yet. That was far from ideal, but since she hadn't had time to grab anything before our hasty departure from Beleth, she had no need to carry a pack of her own. I would carry what was needed for the both of us. On my end, my arm was still sore and the burned skin still smarted. Most of the blisters had popped, and pink new skin speckled my forearm in unsightly splotches. I rubbed ointment onto Trenia's stitches, and refastened her wrappings, and she rubbed salve onto my burns, then resplinted my arm. Then we tucked into bed. Trenia's breath became a faint snore after a few minutes, and for a while I laid awake in bed. I couldn't stop thinking about Quinn, and all that had happened in the past few days. I tried to think about Granbauer, about garden snails, about blueberries, about anything. But all thoughts funneled back to Quinn, which was super annoying. So I decided to lean into it and sort out what I would say to him in the morning. For a while, I thought about why I wanted to thank him. 
And then I thought about why I wanted to apologize. But then I thought, wait, no. Quinn should be the one apologizing to me. And then I was right back where I started, confused and frustrated and anxious. For at least an hour, I bashed my head into the same thoughts over and over again, hoping they would eventually shift into something that made sense. And eventually they did shift. Into a memory. A memory of a round stone cottage with herbs hanging from the rafters. I was cuddled up in a leather chair beside a glowing hearth. It was the deep of winter. A cup of tea warmed my hands. Lemongrass and lavender, my favorite. Across from me in a wooden chair, Bertram the healer sat with an open book in his lap, reading aloud Sir Richard and the Dragon. I remember when he finished the story, he closed the book and eyed me pensively. Who was the hero of that story? Sir Richard, obviously, I answered. Why? Because he's the one who slayed the dragon. And who was the villain? The dragon. Why? Because the dragon burned down the queen's village. He killed a bunch of people. He's a meanie. So then, who were the victims? The queen and her villagers. Why? They're the ones who got hurt. Did not the dragon get hurt as well? At the end, when Sir Richard killed him. But the dragon deserved it. Does one violent deed warrant another? No, but what was Sir Richard supposed to do? Just let the dragon continue to fly around and scorch people? So you think Sir Richard had to harm the dragon? In order to stop him? Yeah. Hmm. Does that not make Sir Richard a villain? No, he's the hero. He was saving people. He swore to protect the queen and the village, and that's what he did. Can Sir Richard not be both hero and villain? No. How can somebody be good and evil at the same time? I did not say good and evil. I said hero and villain. Aren't they the same thing? I mean, Sir Richard was the goodest guy ever based on all the stories. How could he possibly be a villain? Sir Richard is a hero, because a hero takes action to solve the problem of a victim. But what are victims? They're people who need help? No, they're the people who bad stuff happens to. People who got hurt. Mm, yes, all those things can be true. The hurt especially. In story terms, a victim is a person affected by a problem they feel powerless to solve. This problem can be harm from another, disaster at the hands of sickness or nature, or any number of pains that befall the living. That's why they need a hero. Mm, victims do not need a hero. If anything, heroes need them. No, no, a victim can become their own hero if they take action to solve their problem. But both heroes and victims can become villains if the actions they take to solve their problems make more problems or create more victims. In fact, all villains were victims at some point. Never forget, Ali. Every villain has a wound. Wait, 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 okay. So you're saying that the dragon was the victim in this story? Not the victim, but a victim, yes. Perhaps the dragon was attacking because he had been attacked. Perhaps the dragon had lost his family to another gallant knight like Sir Richard. This would not excuse the dragon's violence, but it would explain it. Now, this story does not mention such things, but in real life, there is nothing so simple as good and evil. Sir Richard, a villain. I'm sure the dragon would have told it that way. Well, but, 
but the dragon hurt people too. He was a meanie. Absolutely. But remember, Ali, no one is just a villain, nor are they just a hero or just a victim. Every person plays all these roles in their life, even the great Sir Richard. And as you know, he is one of the greatest heroes of all. The memory faded, and my thoughts returned to Quinn. But now those thoughts were calm and caring. I saw now how all of us, how Trenia, Laurel, Theron, Quinn, and I, how the villagers of Harrowdelf and the elves of Beleth had all played the victim, the villain, and the hero in our shared story. The truth of it struck me like a bell, and I hummed with a deep, profound compassion for us all. None of this had been simple, or easy, for anyone. In that moment, I forgave Quinn for his harsh words in the kitchen. I forgave myself for bringing Trenia to Harrow Hall, knowing it would cause Quinn pain. And I hoped that when I shared this awareness with him in the morning, Quinn might forgive me too. Then I fell asleep, imagining I was a knight in silver armor, riding on the back of a dragon. Trenia and I arose with the dawn. I laced up Grint's green leather boots and followed Trenia out into the hall. Bright morning light beamed through the windows and nestled on the empty wooden tables. It seemed we were the first guests awake. But there was no sign of Kilia or Tarver either. Where were they? As Trenia and I drew near to the bar, I heard crying coming from the back room. Trenia heard it too, and quietly, we approached the open doorway. Inside, we found Kilia wrapped tightly in Tarver's arms. She was sobbing uncontrollably, and Tarver's dark cheeks glistened with tears. They didn't notice us standing in the doorway, so I knocked on the frame. Oh, it's you, dears. We, I, Quinn. <laughs> Kilia buried her face in Tarver's shirt. What's going on? It's Quinn. My blood ran cold. What happened? Is he okay? Tarver gestured to a letter sitting open on the kitchen table. He's gone. What do you mean, he's gone? I dreaded what I'd hear next. What if he had... Because Trenia and I had... No, no! But Kilia answered. They left us. They packed a bag and took off without saying goodbye. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> oh. I let out a sigh of relief. Well, that wasn't so bad. Heck, I'd done the same. And I hadn't even had the good form to leave a note. He just ran off and left us. How will we manage without him? What will we do? Now, Key, boy's not gonna be gone forever. Says so in his letter. Did he say where he was going? No! He just scribbled nonsense about finding some glowing light inside his chest and, and, and being tired of living with his curtains drawn. What does that even mean? Kilia buried her face in Tarver's shirt once again, and Tarver gave us a rueful smile. We'll have food out to you in just a moment. Trenia and I took his cue and left them alone. I couldn't believe it. Quinn had gone. He'd really gone. I was shocked, stunned, downright bamboozled. But as we took our usual seats at the bar, I couldn't help but smile. A glowing light inside his chest. <laughs> Quinn was off to find his spark. Wow. Wow. Good for him. Truly. I hoped he would find what he was looking for. 
A part of me was sad that I wouldn't get to talk to him now. That I couldn't share what I'd processed the night before, or thank him as I wanted to. Trenia seemed similarly disappointed. But maybe he didn't need our thanks. And maybe... we didn't need his apology. Maybe the rest of our healing was the part we had to do on our own. Eventually, Tarver came out of the back room with hot porridge. A damp-eyed Kilia followed him shortly after, her arms full of bread, salted meat, dried fruit, and cheese, which she stuffed into every corner of my pack, along with a vial of ointment for Trinia and a small tin of salve for my burns. My, even in their grief, Tarver and Kilia were exemplary hosts. After Trinia and I finished our food, she helped me wrestle on my pack, and we made for the door. Tarver and Kilia followed us out, and before the eaves of the Harrow Hall Inn, we made our goodbyes. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry about Quinn, dear. I really thought I saw sparks flying between you two. Oh. Trinia held back a laugh. Ah, so dedicated and so oblivious. It's really okay, Kilia. Thank you for trying. Kilia's eyes glistened with tears once more. I can't speak for Quinn. I don't know exactly why he chose to leave, but I looked to Trinia then to Tarver, and then to Kilia, who all listened eagerly, as they had when I'd told the tale of my adventures two nights before. If I had never left Fribbleshire, if I had never left my home and my family, I wouldn't have had a story to tell. You would have had empty seats in the Harrow Hall last night, and I'd still be mucking out cow pens and fighting imaginary bandits with a shovel. True story. Tarver's frown cracked into a smile, and Kilia let forth a teary chuckle. I reached out and held her shoulder. Someday, Quinn will come home to you. Someday you'll get to hear his story. But right now, he's off being his own hero. And we must wish him well on that road. Kilia embraced me then, and so did Tarver. And somehow they managed to wrangle Trinia into the mix, though she grumbled and was rigid until they let go. I admit my eyes grew a tidbit misty at the parting, but some tears clear our eyes, so we may better see what lies ahead. Then I tightened my pack, we said our final goodbyes, and Trenia and I turned to the west. Our shadows stretched out before us as we walked, matching us step for step as we headed out of Harrowdelf. The sun warmed our backs as it rose, urging us onward. Onward, towards the highlands. Onward, towards Granbower. Onward, towards the next adventure. Onward towards wherever the road might lead. Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and wow, we're through season one. Goodness, this little show became much bigger than I expected. I thought the entire series would be about 12 hours in length, and the first season alone has handily passed that mark. Oopsie. It's been an experiment in so many ways, so thank you for your love, your support, and your encouragement as the journey unfolds. My plan is to spend as much of this fall writing season two as I can. The arc that I planned out two years ago feels more relevant than ever, and the magic is bumped up a dozen notches. Also, today I'd like to thank Wendell Britt and his transformative teachings about how to use stories, characterization, and role-playing to grow into our best selves. Allie's conversation with Bertram in this episode was hugely inspired by his incredible work with parts integration and his course, Mastering the Game of Allyship. 
I highly, highly, highly encourage you to follow him on Instagram or Twitter and to look up his Mastering the Game of Allyship course to learn more about how to show up as a hero in your own life and in the lives of others. Thank you, Wendell. Thank you so, so much. I'd also like to give a special thanks to my Rainbow Unicorn Patreon donors, Dr. Sunshine and Gladys Selsar, whose shimmering horns and flowing tails are so magical, they make leprechauns jealous. Join me on Patreon to get behind-the-scenes updates and news about Alley Odds as I write, and to support me as I create Season 2. This project is fully supported by my listeners, so if you have found joy and meaning in this tale, consider becoming a patron or making a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find more information about how to do this at alleyodds.com. Once again, my friends, thank you for listening. Thank you for loving and for sharing this story with me and the world. Until next time. <laughs>